my name is Rodrigo. This is the Ether Podcast. And this is Rachel. And this is Ryan. And today we're continuing our series on how to study the Bible. And this is a little bit of a, uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of a discouraging topic. <laughs> but it's a discouraging topic to encourage you, if that makes sense. Because we're talking about the challenge of scripture. And to begin with, um, I wanted to read a passage of a book. Uh, this book I'm holding is called Restoring the Jewishness of the Gospel. Uh, it's a book written by David H. Stern, who is a Messianic Jew, meaning that he is a practicing Jew who believes in Christ. And uh, he wrote this book basically because he felt that the Christian church in general doesn't um, doesn't have a Jewish perspective enough. And basically what we're talking about today is the fact that even though the main and the core message of the Bible is simple, it is also a book that is challenging to read and we're going to share with you some of those challenges. But I did want to start off by reading an excerpt of the introduction to this book just to uh, sort of express what's at stake. Because I do think that in reading scripture, we have a big degree of responsibility in what we're reading and what we're presenting to other people. And let me say this. Um, I think one of the uh, more challenging experiences that you can have in life in general is when you think you're doing something right and then you discover that you indeed have not been doing it right. And every once in a while, when uh, expounding on my understanding of the Bible, I have those moments in which I go, man, I never saw it that way. How dumb am I? <laughs> and the reason why I'm sharing the excerpt from this book is because this book made me feel that way. And that's sort of a little bit of what we're sharing about today. So let me read. This is just a small paragraph. Uh, but I think the language is very fitting to what we're talking about here. It says that when the church proclaims a gospel without its Jewishness restored, she's at best failing to proclaim the whole counsel of God. That's a quote from Acts 20, verse 27. At worst, she may be communicating what Paul called another gospel, which is in Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. Moreover, not only Jews suffer from this off-target preaching, Gentiles suffer too. Therefore, I believe I'm focusing on an extremely serious problem which has not received from Christians the attention it deserves. Mm. And again, the reason why I read this is because I became interested in this topic because uh, I think I was listening to one of the Bible Project podcasts and they alluded to this guy. This guy also authored uh, what's called the Complete Jewish Bible. My which, favorite. Yes, which is a, a, it's the version that Rachel's been into lately. And uh, this man, I believe, translated the New Testament. Uh, Rachel, help me out with this because I'm blanking out here. He, so it's his own translation right. of the Old Testament. And it's his own translation of the New Testament, but obviously the New Testament was written in Greek. So he puts back in the Jewishness or the Hebrewness. So he leaves, for example, all Hebrew names, he leaves them in the Bible. So he doesn't translate them into Greek or into English. Um, same with places. And then there's certain concepts or even words, like sometimes the name of God is right. left in Hebrew, right. not translated. And is he doing just the Old Testament or is it both old and new? So it's both, both old and new. And the Old Testament's interesting because he didn't actually translate the Old Testament, but what he did is that there's a, there's sort of like the uh, King James equivalent but a lot better documented, if you will. Uh, actually, I lied. There, there's a very good English translation of the Old Testament that some Jews use. 
that he used to create his translation of the Old Testament. Um, and it's sort of like in old English, so he sort of updated it. But he did translate the New Testament. And it's just a very interesting version of the Bible to read. Like I'm reading, I'm going through the book of Isaiah using that translation. And it really is sort of very eye-opening. Because basically what this guy tried to do is have a very uh, uh, Jewish meaning to his translation. Mm-hmm. But regardless of all that, the reason why I was sharing it is because I think in being a Bible student, I think we all come to that to those points in which we go, man, this doesn't mean what I thought it meant. And so what we want to do on this podcast is talk about some of those uh, issues, I guess, and some of those times that we encounter that and talk about some of the challenges in reading scripture and hopefully help you uh, navigate those challenges. And like I said, this may be a little discouraging, but we're discouraging you to encourage you. <laughs> With a purpose. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that one of the challenges along these lines is being able to put my, my mindset aside and take on the mindset under which these scriptures were written. So it's 2018 and I'm picking up my Bible and I'm reading the Bible and I think in a very modern context and here I'm reading about um, battle and blood and ancient sacrifice and other gods and Asherah poles and um, cities that I don't know in parts of the world that I don't know um, and I struggle to put it into my own context sometimes. And I, I have that disconnect sometimes as I sit down and I read the Bible because it wasn't written in 2018. It was written more than 2,000 years ago in some cases. Um, and I have that, that difficult piece of it. And it sounds like what, what uh, Dr. Stern is saying is we have to be able to understand the circumstances under which the Bible was composed and written in order to really understand what this passage is saying or what that passage is saying. Right. Which to his point, Jewishness is a big aspect of that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think just thinking about the stories that we were talking about last time and how we each came to the Bible, you know, all of us are going to have different reasons we started reading the Bible and different ways it was introduced. Mm -hmm. You know, the first scripture that comes to my mind when I think about the way the Bible was introduced to me is the Bible is useful for teaching, for training, for rebuking, for correcting. I'm messing up that scripture for training in righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think early on, I always had that mindset that the Bible is useful for something, um, that it's a tool that I can use in my life to, um, uncover truth, to weed out sin in my life, to allow me to get to know God better, um, and then you come across passages that it's really hard to identify its usefulness. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think over time, at least for me, as I started to encounter these passages more and more frequently, because I started to get more daring, you know, it, initially it's, I'm just going to kind of stay in the New Testament, particularly in the Pauline uh, scriptures because they're a little bit more prescriptive. They're a little bit more easy to understand. I can pull things from it and have something very specific that I can focus on during the day. But over time I started reading other books in the Bible and then I started venturing into the old Testament and you get into the old Testament in particular and you, you, you just have huge chunks of it that you just don't know what to do with it. 
Um, and I know it's taken me several years to sort of get to this point of really accepting that the Bible is an ancient text that has been translated from a different language from a people group that I do not identify with. Right. Um, and so just sort of letting all that sink in and to realize that it's actually really important for me to start learning about the people and learning at least a little bit about the language. I don't have to become a Bible scholar if that's not my passion because so many people have written so many things that I can read. Um, but it's important. It's an important part of me understanding the Bible in its fullest meaning. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that I was thinking about um, sort of preparing for this particular podcast is uh, being very honest about what's at stake. Cause, um, and even from, from what I read, right? Like this guy talks about in terms of uh, like at the very least and at worst, and I think it's, I think it's very fair to sort of put our Bible interpretation and our reading of the Bible in those terms, because mm -hmm. I think there are certain things that are, um, I, I I don't know that I would call them harmless, but there are certain things that even though they matter, they don't matter. You know what I mean? Like, um, there are certain things that don't have any kind of like heavy theological. Um, that if you misunderstand them, they have this heavy theological implication to it. And there's some things that do. And even, uh, for example, something as simple, for many years, the Catholic Church translated the word from the Greek repentance, mm -hmm. from repentance to penance. And the fact that they framed sin in a way that it needs to be made up for, which because that's what penance means, mm -hmm. that you need to make up for your sin, sort of open the door for things like the whole idea of being able to pay a certain amount to get out of purgatory and being able to sort of buy your salvation, which was very prevalent in uh, the Middle Ages and a little bit uh, after that. And, and so this sort of doctrine was created from a mistranslation of scripture that wasn't really uh, biblical and mm -hmm. that to a certain degree uh, gave, I guess, I don't know if power is the right word, but gave a certain spiritual stature to the people that could afford it. Mm -hmm. So like the poor certainly couldn't afford to pay for their penance, but certainly rich people could. Um, you know, one of the examples too, for example, that I encountered, and again, this is of, of no great consequence. Uh, when I was a young Christian, I remember uh, somebody, I think this is in the book of Jude, where it says that we need to share our faith hmm. with, uh, with one another. And people sort of frame that in a very evangelistical, like, hey, you need to share your faith like with others, in a, like in an evangelistic sense. And that scripture isn't really talking about that. It's actually addressing people who are already believers who are supposed to share their faith. Like this is sort of like my life and what I've lived and my experience with God and all this other stuff. And again, that misunderstanding doesn't necessarily have a huge consequence because you do have to be evangelistic. Mm -hmm. But I, I do I do think that it's important that we approach the Bible with an understanding that, again, even though the, the message of the Bible is simple, it also has complexities mm -hmm. that sort of really bring up the stakes. Can I share the first time I realized this? I have a very specific memory yes. of this. So in high school, actually, Rodrigo, with your sister, um, <laughs> she was studying the Bible and Yurtsi, I love you. Um, that's my shout out to your sister. Um, so I remember I was reading my Bible, trying to find encouraging scriptures for her. 
And I came across the scripture in Job that I thought was amazing and just so uplifting and so encouraging. And I remember calling your sister and reading it to her and all this stuff. And then several years later, for a very brief amount of time, I lived in Athens, Georgia, and we have someone in our fellowship of churches whose name is Dr. Doug Jacoby. And I remember it was a Sunday or a Wednesday night, he was doing a lesson and somehow he referenced Job and he read the exact passage (laughs) that I had used with your sister. And he said, yeah, this guy, God rebukes more than any of his friends. Um, And basically saying his view, what he says to Job is actually not what, like God does not praise him for what he says. He actually rebukes him and rebukes him the hardest. Right. That was the first time that I was like, oh, wow. I didn't know that. And obviously it didn't, it doesn't have theological implications, but it was my first instance where I thought, wow, I can't just pull something out of the Bible and use it and read it without really having some understanding of the context. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've all probably done that where we're trying to encourage somebody and we, we open up the concordance or we open up biblegateway.com and, and, type in a word or two that we're looking for and finds the first thing that pops up and we say, wow, that fits perfectly. And without reading the whole context of what is this actually saying? Right. You can find something that's encouraging. I'm, I mean, there's probably many, many of them. My favorite is always Habakkuk one five <laughs> where you, you put it into encouraging letters to people like as they're going to college Look around at the nations, look and be amazed. (laughs) I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. And you think, man, that's encouraging. That's awesome. (laughs) And then the very next verse is like, I'm raising up the Babylonians, a swift and cruel, violent people. They'll march across the world and conquer other lands. They're notorious for their cruelty, do whatever they like. And you go, oh, Uh, I guess that's not as nice as i thought that it was gonna be right but just being aware of of what is this this scripture actually talking about what is it actually saying well you know sorry go ahead oh i I do think that in most cases that you can find the verse that you're looking for uh in other contexts it may not have the same nice pretty wording that fits in a card but you know the same mentality is like with Habakkuk 1.5, yeah, God says there are going to be amazing days ahead. There are other verses that say that, just right. not this one. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because um, I think a lot of times sort of uh, overcoming some of these challenges has very much to do with, like, just simply reading the, the verses that follow. And I think um, one, of the, the, one of the habits – that I think that I've had to to really rid myself of is to read the Bible in verses, because uh, I think you can fall into that trap. And even I was I was uh, talking with, and we even posted this on our social media. Um, you know, we uh, uh, Isaiah six, where uh, where Isaiah, where God says, like, "Hey, who am I gonna send?" And Isaiah says, "Here I here am I send me." Um, you know. Many people take sort of that statement and liken it to our call to preach the gospel. But if you keep reading, Isaiah wasn't sent for the good news per se. He was sent for bad news. And he literally, uh, I've been, again, I've been reading from this, uh, from this uh, Jewish Bible translation. And what it says in the following verse is that he's sending Isaiah to make the hearts of Israel sluggard with fat is what it says. <laughs> Basically to mean that he's making the, their hearts hard. Like he's, 
he's going to make their hearts like not really beat mm-hmm. and he's closing uh he's making their ears dull and he's closing their eyes and basically Isaiah is being sent to judge like he's being sent to say like hey God is done with you and if you read the book of Isaiah that is something that he repeats over and over again is like hey God is going to judge you your time is coming and so Isaiah's call is nothing like ours as Christians if anything is completely the opposite because we are sent to soften people's hearts we are sent to bring the good news we are sent to actually make people hear and we're sent to actually open people's eyes to the word of god so our call isn't like when we go here my send me it's not the same call that isaiah had <laughs> and again i feel like and it sounds great right like it sounds great when you print it on a t-shirt or when it's a theme of a conference or whatever but if you actually look at the context, You're it's not get as, phone calls now, Rodrigo. But it's, I mean, but when you take it in context, it's actually not as inspirational as we make it out to be. Is all I'm saying. And I think right. again, does it is it a big deal, like in the big scheme of things, like to name your conference here, mice and me? I don't. I mean, yes and no, but I, I think the 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 challenging part is is really asking yourself, like, are you being faithful to the scripture itself and yeah. I think well, that's, in that scenario, I think that's the, you're really not yeah, yeah i think that's the biggest piece is um yeah that's an encouraging thing to to name your conference and it is inspirational and it sounds poetic and it sounds great but yeah i think if we're if we're saying that our faith is is the result of reading and studying and hearing the word then we have to be able to to say that I'm handling it correctly and I'm not just using it for myself. Cause I think what that does is it puts very much of a focus on me mm. and I can use it as a tool, as my instrument to do and say what I want it to say mm-hmm. rather than letting it speak and say what it does. Right. Um, so I think we, yeah, we do have to be careful about it. And so is it the worst thing in the world? No, but I think that, as we continue to grow in our um, in our faith, that we need to be more respectful of the word, and we need to be more uh, handle it correctly. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think an example like that. What the I can't think of another word besides the word danger, but I don't I don't feel like that's the appropriate word I'm trying to use. But I think the danger of an example like that is the precedence it could potentially set. There you so go. That's a good word. In in this case, it's not a a big deal, right? right? But the precedence it could potentially set is you can take scripture and kind of repurpose it for what you need. Right. You could twist it to say yeah. something that it doesn't really say whether intentionally or unintentionally. And I think, I, you know, I think sometimes you, you alluded to this, Ryan. I think sometimes it can say, well, I mean, that is in the Bible. You know, people can, can kind of use that as a sort of a, a Band-Aid, I guess, of that. It's like, well, we're not saying something that's unbiblical. But I think the better way to go about it is to find the Scripture – that actually reflects what you're trying to use it for as opposed to finding a biblical theme and then picking the scripture that sounds the best. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I think one of the, um, to me, one of the bigger dangers is misinterpreting scripture in a way um, that mischaracterizes the um the character of god because hmm. i think and i think i say this honestly i think there there are certain things and certain passages that describe uh the thought and actions of god that are challenging to understand and i think a lot of times we find ourselves um 
asking the question, and I think we've asked it in other episodes of our podcast, is like, hey, if God is a loving God, then why does he come across so harshly, like in this mm -hmm. particular instance, right? And one of the, um, when I was coming to church, one of the things that I was really, uh, I don't know if this heart, this heart is not the right word, I guess shocked. And again, this, this was coming from somebody who, who at the time wasn't a Bible reader, who knew very little about the Bible, who understood who God was on a very uh, surfacey level. But uh, one of the first uh, half a dozen times that I went to church, somebody was preaching from the book of Revelation, and uh, they super emphasized the scripture where God says, uh, I forget to which church, but to be either hot or cold. Laodicea. Right, and not to be lukewarm. Uh, because and he literally, the, the old NIV translation said that the church in Laodicea was pitiful and that basically the way uh, that the scripture was read and presented is that when a church is lukewarm, like God wants nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. And the first time I heard that, I found it a little shocking. I was like, man, like, does that really... Um, and again, to be completely fair, at the time, I would say that I didn't necessarily know God to the degree that I know him now. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that scripture being used a lot of times in a way to rebuke sort of people's lack of commitment. Um, and it is a very strong scripture. But, and I think that, and if anything, I'm making the point that I'm making is I think, A, that we need to be really careful. And B, that one of the ways in which we can be really careful that's very simple is by reading other Bible translations. Because mm -hmm. when I started reading other Bible translations, that wasn't the NIV. And I went to that scripture, many other translations, instead of translating the word uh, pitiful as pitiful, translated as pitiable. Mm -hmm. Meaning that the people of the church in Laodicea weren't pitiful, but they were worthy of God's pity. Mm -hmm. And that is a difference that changes the whole dynamic of that scripture because to say that they were pitiful means that sort of God is putting them down like, oh, man, like you're pitiful. There's a negative connotation. But... Right. But to say that they were pitiable is, means that they were, worth, they were worthy of God's pity. And mm -hmm. therefore, like that's the reason why he's telling them this. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different dynamic. One comes from a place of care of like, man, I'm looking at you and I don't like the shape that you're in. Like, I feel, I feel pity for you mm -hmm. as opposed to like, Hey, you're pitiful. And therefore I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Like it just, it changes everything. It changes the complete and whole meaning, the tone. I wouldn't say the, the meaning, but it changes the tone of that scripture. Mm -hmm. And, and again, I think we're talking about it. And, you know, to a certain degree, we're talking about nuance, but I think it's really nuance that ultimately, if the Bible is about God, then a lot of this nuance really affects the way in which we look at God. Mm -hmm. And if the main purpose of the Bible is to show us who God is, then how we study and how we sort of paint the portrait of who God is really, really matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I that's think... A, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. Well, that's a hard thing about translating. I mean, mm -hmm. Rod, you know this as, as speaking Spanish and learning English is that there it's never a one-to-one -one translation from one language to another language. Especially not, not from English to Spanish. I was going to say, <laughs> or from don't English get him started on don't. the English language. <laughs> Do not, Ryan. We can That's a whole episode unto itself. <laughs> Are you saying that English is complicated and has its own craziness? I'm, I'm saying that English is totally arbitrary. <laughs> it is just whatever people felt like, that's, that's what they did. See, it's like, I don't understand uh, rough, tough, but dough. <laughs> like, where's the rule? 
You know what I mean? Somebody just felt like, no, we're not going to say duff. We're going to say duff. And okay. Let's, we let's all go it. along with it. And we right. don't have any problems with that. Yes, and that's just, just one of so many Ryan Nova. big rabbit hole. Yeah. Anyway. But I think even the, even the meanings of, of words in that we can we can get stuck on what one word is rather than uh, what you were just saying about reading different translations is that the different translations, they serve different purposes. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just a group of guys got together and said, hey, I know that somebody else already translated the Bible, but why don't we do it ourselves? Right. Um, because <laughs> I enjoy that activity. And some people do. Um, yeah. I'm just nerdy enough to to consider being a part of a group that would do it just to do it. Um, I think that's why we're doing this podcast. Right. I'm in that boat. <laughs> um, but being able to, to read different versions they're trying to do different things. So like the NIV, very popular um, translation, what the translators try to do is, let me read the, the original text or the original language and try and create a translation that, that is more in tune with the sentiment that is being expressed. Um, so I want you to understand that this is, Verse is angry. This verse is sad. This verse is um, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas other translations, like the the uh, New Revised Standard Version, is more of a they try to stick more word for word, right? And so you get more of that feeling of this is exactly what was being stated, and it's a very difficult translation to read for that purpose mm-hmm. because the words are kind of out of order. Um, the, the subject isn't necessarily in the beginning of the sentence. It may be towards the middle or the end. And so it's, it's a little tricky and tough. But it, what it does is by reading those different versions, it helps you to get into the mindset, at least linguistically, of, of the author. Maybe mm-hmm. not culturally, but at least what they're trying to get across. Um, and so some of these tools, like my Bible app allows me to to look up several versions at the same time. And so right. I can read um, the same verse in a couple of different versions. And so using tools like that uh, is very helpful to, to be able to start putting your mind into, yeah. get your mind into the same place that the author was in when he wrote it. And so Ryan, I'm gonna ask the question that maybe listeners cannot, listen, cannot ask. Um, how do you find out those different things about the different versions? Is that in the introduction of the different versions? Like, how do you know where, because I see it kind of as a spectrum. There's the most totally. literal to the most, um, what was what was the word you use? Like, it, it's conveying the idea of it. You know, right. so that's on one end, and then there's the absolute literal on the other end. So how do you know which version falls where? Well, I think that uh, you can rely on, on folks who do this more for a living and have some, some more training, but even just doing a quick Google search of spectrum of Bible translations, you get all kinds of different results. And one that popped up for me that you can see a translation continuum, whether it's word for word, and they say, you know, the New American Standard Bible is way close to the, the word-for-word side of things, as is the, the English Standard Version, the King James Version, and then the NIV is kind of right in the middle between word-for-word and thought-for-thought. Mm. And all the way on the, the thought-for-thought side is the message. I was going to say. <laughs> the message is actually a transliteration. Mm-hmm. So what that means is, you have a translation. So you've got the, the, the New Testament is written in mostly in Greek um, and, and portions in Aramaic. And so a translation, they go back to the Greek and they say, what does the Greek say? And they write it out in a particular language, in our case, in English. A transliteration then reads that English and says, what is this trying to say? Can I put it in other words to make it clearer for Mm-hmm. Uh, a modern reader. 
Um, and it's not trying to be true to the original language. It's trying to be true to maybe the, the, the emotion or the context. And sometimes they'll put in words or phrases or idioms that are a little bit more modern than would be included mm-hmm. in a 2000 or 3000 year old document. Right. Something that where you're reading it, you go, I know exactly what they're saying. But if you were to go and try and connect the dots, you'd have a hard time doing that because it's a transliteration. All right. So you got that from a Google search, basically. Yeah. 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 And, and just to get super nerdy here, the two terms that you use for the spectrum are like dynamic equivalence, which is more the meaning that goes more for the meaning, uh, sort of like, yeah, they're the translating the meaning of the words. And formal equivalence is more word for word. Hmm. And so all Bible translations fall somewhere within that range. All right. So something else I feel like we need to bring up now that we're here, because this is something we were talking about last week. Because um, I think you just even listen to this first few minutes of this podcast and some people's minds are exploding just even right there. Um, and I remember having this conversation with somebody and what they said was, you know, I believe, uh, in simple faith and I believe that, um, you know, if God gave us everything that we need in the Bible, that I can just read it in English, um, Like, I don't need to know another language. I don't need to know Hebrew or Greek um, because the Bible is in English. God gave us the Bible. He's given me what I need for life and godliness, like referring to that scripture. So I don't really need to go there. Well, so, so here's the thing, and I think this is why this is a little bit of a difficult conversation. Because a statement like that isn't completely false. And even I do think that now that you're bringing it up, right, I think it's it's important that we point out how um, lucky, I guess is the right word, we are to have the Bible translated into a modern language, be it English, Spanish, French, whatever, because there was a time Mm-hmm. But it actually wasn't allowed. And there were people who actually gave their lives mm-hmm. to be able to translate uh, the Bible into more common language other than Greek and Latin. And the mm-hmm. reason why they were doing it is so that all people, not just a few people, had access to the Bible, mm-hmm. to the actual document. And so I think partly, uh, again, what you're saying isn't false. It's not an inaccurate statement. Partly, we need to be very grateful that we have a translation that the the common person can read. And at the same time, I would say that even though an accurate statement is certainly not a complete one. And I think that's the, I feel like that's the nuance that we're discussing here. Mm -hmm. I think you can go a whole lifetime without digging super deep into the Bible and you will have a partial understanding of what's taught in the Bible and you will have a partial understanding of who God is that I think to a certain degree is sufficient for faith and is certainly sufficient for salvation. And I want to be very clear. And I think this would be a good spot to do this is that a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is aren't matters of salvation. And I think at some point, whether it's in this podcast or another one, I think we would, like to discuss some of the more uh, consequentially heavy theological scriptures like addressing baptism and such. But maybe, this may not be the time. <laughs> Might be too big of a can. Yes. Worms. Yes, I think yes. that's that's a separate podcast, but we will do that. But back to what I was saying, um, I think that's just an incomplete statement. Because A, and I think this is one of the things that we talked about both in the video and what we wanted to talk about today is that we need to understand that the Bible had a particular historical context 
every book of the Bible has its own storyline. It has its own authors. It has its own characters. It has its own reason for being. They all, all the books of the Bible in one way or another contribute to the greater narrative of the Bible, which is God and God trying to redeem his creation. Mm -hmm. And I think if you don't take all of those things into account, what you end up with is a partial portrait of God and a partial portrait of God's mission. And I think then everything trickles down from there. And mm -hmm. so, again, is it sufficient? Yes. But I think if, if the Bible is supposed to be a crucial part of our walk with God, why wouldn't we dig deep into it? Like, I think for, for as much as I understand the simplicity of, of that statement, if we are to know God intimately, then we have to gonna do some digging around. And if we're gonna uh, understand God deeply, we're going to have to do some more research and some more understanding and even understanding the history of things and understanding like the different genres. You know, I think that, again, and again, we're talking about the things that in the big scheme of things don't have like this huge consequence. But when you begin to add all of these things, all these little things, you end up with notions that aren't biblical that sort of begin to make themselves popular in the religious context, right? Mm -hmm. And in the religious world, rather not the, in the religious context, but in the religious world that are just not biblical. And I use this example all the time. And part of the reason why I use it is because it comes up in like political discussions all the time. Mm -hmm. But the whole idea of like God helps those who help themselves, right? And you hear a lot of people say that and they say it as if it was some, some kind of spiritual, uh, some kind of spiritual truth, mm -hmm. right? And even though there's some wisdom in the statement, it is totally contrary to what you see in the Bible. Because if anything, what you see in the Bible is a God who intervenes in the life of humankind because they cannot help themselves. Uh -huh. It is completely the opposite of that statement. God helps the people who are lost without him. Yeah. And, and again, like I, I feel like a statement like that comes from a stacking of all these misunderstandings that aren't biblical. And I think in the end, we sort of end up with this popular Christianity that isn't really Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately discipleship is what suffers the most from our lack of understanding of the Bible. Yeah. So I think from what I'm hearing that I would make the, the clarification that you can know God and you can have a beautiful relationship with God without being a Bible nerd. Yes. Mm -hmm. I do think though that, so I, I think that it's very easy for many of us to feel, um, I just need to know more. I need to know more. Otherwise I can't, I can't be a Christian. I can't do anything. And we allow this feeling that I don't know enough mm -hmm. to stop us from doing anything at all. And that's not what we're saying. Right. I think that you can uh, know very little and you can go and you can do something amazing. Like I think about the Ethiopian eunuch um, and in Acts 8, you've got this story of, of Philip going and meeting this guy who's on his way back to Ethiopia, has a conversation with him. And let's just assume that it was uh, a conversation that lasted all day. Mm -hmm. In one day, this guy uh, uh, went from knowing very little uh, or having an incomplete understanding to turning his life around, getting baptized, believing in Jesus. And then the guy who taught him disappears and history indicates that this guy went mm -hmm. back to Ethiopia 
and turned Ethiopia into a Christian stronghold mm-hmm. when the rest of Africa was going uh, and falling in with Islam, that Ethiopia remained very much of, of a Christian uh, power power in with within Africa. Um, and they mm-hmm. trace it back to this guy. Um, and so here's a guy that didn't know very much, and yet he went back and had an impact. Mm-hmm. But then you also have guys like Paul, who grew up studying the the Torah and knew a ton, and he went and he also was used. I think what we're saying is that by learning and making yourself into a student, you can learn more about Jesus. And you can continue in your faith, and that as you remain a disciple, I think it it is your responsibility to say, "What am I learning new, and what am I adding to my understanding?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and am I learning the differences between some of these translations? Am I using different translations? Am I learning some of the words behind it? Um, you know, I think what you were saying, Rachel, about the question of well, can't I just read this English version? And most of us in our audience only speak English, so we're stuck with that limitation. But other languages use a lot of words to talk about what in English we can refer to with one word. So mm-hmm. there's a, uh, uh, a group of um, native peoples in northern Scandinavia who live up near the Arctic Circle and they have a thousand different words for reindeer, depending mm. on what kind of reindeer it is, whether it's a, 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 a lean, athletic oh my male, God. if it's a short, <laughs> squat female, if it has big antlers, if it has little antlers, thousand words. Um, that's probably a bit of hyperbole, but the being that you and I use one word, reindeer. Right, <laughs> and that that defines all. <laughs> the whole everything. Where, as to these people, who it's their life, they their their whole being is wrapped up with the reindeer, whether it's for um, work or food or for clothing, um, or they just see them all the time. Uh, it's become much richer than just saying uh, reindeer. That doesn't incorporate what this animal is this one is whatever their word is um and so it's it's learning Mm -hmm. what did the bible author what was he trying to say um i think another thing to know about is is the significance behind different stories like why they show up in there one cool thing to keep in mind is that the bible authors don't have to tell you anything and Mm -hmm. so when something is in there there's a reason why they've included it. And when you start learning the, the background stories and, and learn why they've included that detail in there, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was listening to uh, a sermon where they were talking about Emmaus and what Emmaus was. And it was, to you and me, it was the location where two of these disciples were walking down the road. They just were going to Emmaus, which is a no-name town um, in Luke, and Jesus in, uh, meets them on the road and has a talk with them. Um, but to Jews who are reading this, Emmaus was the site of a huge battle um, where the Jews ha- were um, uh, being ruled by a foreign nation. And the Jews went to Emmaus. They found this foreign army um, camped out there. And with little arms, they were able to go in and take, take over this army, take their, their weapons, and it became a, a turning point in freeing themselves from these foreign rulers. And so Emmaus is very much like the American Gettysburg, mm-hmm. where this is a turning point in the war. Um, we look at it and we go, man, if Gettysburg had gone a different way, we could have a, a very different kind of, kind mm-hmm. of um, history. And so when you know that you go man that's what does that tell me about these two guys who are going to Emmaus so if i told you two guys were going to Gettysburg 
you would immediately know something about these guys. You would know that, that these are guys who have this, this desire to, to connect to the past. These guys have this desire to, uh, they thought Jesus was more of a military director and that they kind of missed the point of who he was and why he had to die. And so, yeah, of course, if that's your perspective of Jesus, when he dies, yeah, of course you're going to have that feeling of just loss. Um, And so it's kind of a cool thing to be able to know the background story. Now, not knowing what Emmaus is, does that stop you from understanding the rest of the story? Not at all. Uh, It makes it richer. It makes it, in my opinion, a little cooler, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it definitely doesn't stop you from from understanding uh, what Jesus was doing by encountering these guys on the road. Yeah. I think, I think what I'm hearing in just this whole conversation, it depends on which way you go, but it's what all the little things end up adding up to. Um, so, you know, you can add a bunch of little things together that on the surface, may not be a big deal if you take that scripture out of context or, you know, um, maybe don't read the full portion of that scripture. But in the end, all those little things could potentially add up to an actual theology that may actually not be, may be incongruent with the scriptures. And then the reverse, I think, is also true. You know, the richness that we can gain in the Bible from just doing little things, learning some details, can add a richness that I think builds on each other, you know, in the same way that I had a memory of the first time I used the Bible out of context, I have a memory of the first time I really dug a little deeper in my Bible. Yeah. And it was when I was reading through the book of John and in the book of John, there are a lot of references to different festivals um, Mm -hmm. because those festivals mark the passage of time. And I remember reading about the Feast of Tabernacles and it was the first time that I was like, I have no idea what that is. I don't know what that means. And so I started getting reference scriptures to go back to the old Testament about what the feast of tabernacles was. And then I started looking online about, um, during the feast of tabernacles, um, the Jews would congregate. And then there were specific passages of scripture that they would read, um, as a congregation together. And so then I went to the passages in Psalms of the passages that they read And in John, at the end of all of that, it doesn't, you know, it says that the Feast of Tabernacles happens and, you know, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. And at the end of the reading, it says that Jesus stands up and says, "Um, I am the light of the world. Right. It also says that out of um, living waters flow out of me i'm sorry i'm totally botching all of this um but when you learn about the feast of booths and what it is and what it signifies and then you read the passages of what the the jewish people were reading during that festival and then you see what jesus says in the book of john you see why jesus was so radical because what he says comes after all this context. And it was the first time that I was like, wow, I understand why they wanted to kill Jesus Mm -hmm. because of what he was saying and how radical it was and how bold it was of him um, to do that in that context. Right. And it's, it has, I feel like from that, that moment was really a turning point for me of just understanding if I just dig a little deeper, the richness that I pull out of the Bible, it's, it's what we were talking about last time. The Bible meets you where you are, but it's always able to go deeper as well. 
Right. You know, what you guys just shared, it really made me think, I think, what's at the at the core of what we're talking about, right? And, and you know, we have been talking about sort of the, the challenges of reading scripture and some of the dangers of it and, um, and I guess some of the responsibility that we have towards it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, though, and and I and again, I started saying that we this was going to be a little discouraging, but we're doing it to encourage you, because I think if anything, we're encouraging you to really dig deep. And like Ryan said, you can go a lifetime uh, without understanding a lot of details and misreading certain things, and you won't necessarily. Um, miss I guess the big picture but when you do when you do do dig around and you do look at history and when you look at genre and when you wonder what did this mean to the audience that this was addressed to and what are the, the authors trying to say and what am I supposed to understand this and how do I apply it to my life and all this other stuff you do end up with a much richer bigger picture mm-hmm. and I, the other thing that it made me think about is how ultimately what we're talking about is having a heart for the word of god yeah totally we're, we're having for for literally loving the bible and i want to close uh this podcast here just by reading this scripture and i think this is a scripture that um means a lot to me and I think it, it ought to mean a lot to a lot of us and especially speaking of uh, the Jewishness of scripture this scripture that I'm about to read certainly means a lot to uh, the Jewish faith hmm. and I think it summarizes perfectly the sentiment that we're trying to convey through this podcast and this is in uh, Deuteronomy 6 starting in verse hmm. 4 it says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Hmm. And if anything, what this scripture says is that the word of God is supposed to be an all-encompassing part of our lives. Yeah. That is not just something that we're to casually approach, but that is something that's supposed to permeate every single aspect of our lives, be it our public life, be it our family life, be it our private life, and I think ultimately that's what we're talking about, sort of uh, living the, the scripture that I just read, that we, that, that, we, that we really bind the scriptures to our hearts. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the main ways in which we can do that is by having a whole, a great deal of curiosity towards scripture and being passionate about learning it, mm-hmm. there is just a great upside to being dedicated to the learning of the Bible. And I think, again, if we want you to walk away with anything from this whole podcast, is that, that I think that there's a certain dedication that we ought to have to Scripture. And that's what God wants Scripture to be in our lives. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that thought, we'd like to uh, close this podcast. Hopefully, again, you've been discouraged and encouraged all at the same time. And hopefully, hopefully more encouraged. Yes, hopefully you're walking away from this very encouraged. And uh, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, we, we, I think, are really enjoying talking about all this stuff. And we're really enjoying putting this whole series on how to study the Bible together. And uh, we hope that you listen to all the rest of it. We are really trying to put something together 
that will make you deepen your Bible study and deepen your understanding of who God is and what he's trying to do in our lives. And uh, we thank you so much for listening. Uh, we do want to remind you that this is a crowdfunded effort and we appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to become one of our supporters, please go to patreon.com forward slash EtherMMC. And uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so through social media at EtherMMC on Instagram, Twitter, and the Facebooks. And also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And we'll catch you on the next one.